Welcome to the Youth Fusion Expert Series, a podcast where we engage with leaders and experts in the various related fields of nuclear disarmament, peace and security, and sustainable development. Through these conversations, we wish to offer you all the chance to learn and be inspired by those who are actively working towards a fairer and more peaceful future for all. My name is Michaela Sorensen, and I'm a program officer at Youth Fusion, and I'm delighted to host today's episode. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Liz Kaiser, who is currently doing her PhD at the Danish Institute for International Studies, otherwise known as DIS, on T, which is part of DIS's ongoing project called Radiant, which stands for Radioactive Ruins, Security in the Age of the Anthropocene. Liz's academic background lies in anthropology, which is the field her PhD is in. Her PhD project explores how nuclear legacies, including infrastructural expansion, economic transformation, ruination, and contamination inform competing nuclear imaginaries that reverberate in the present, with a particular focus on French Polynesia. Liz has just come back from fieldwork in the Howe Atoll, so I'm very excited to interview her and hear all about it. So, without further ado, let's head right into the conversation. Fantastic. Right. So, um, I will do the intros uh, separately so we don't waste time with that. Uh, so then, I will just start off with the first question. Uh, so, hearing, let's hear a little bit about yourself and your background. Uh, what sparked your interest in anthropology and how did you connect the field to issues concerning nuclear testing in your PhD? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, first of all, thanks for the invitation. I'm very, very flattered that, that I'm, I'm invited and um, talk a bit about my, my key interest in, in, in the, the topic of my, my PhD. And, um, and I guess my, my interest in anthropology or, or let's say the, my interest in better understanding complex cultural phenomena started really to grow while, while traveling in, in my teenage years uh, to places like Bolivia, Norway, um, uh, Bina, where I did voluntary work. And, um, and I found out that there actually exists a field of study called anthropology, which tries to actually better understand how people in different places make sense to the world around them or in which they live. And so I went to Vienna to study anthropology and, and I always understood anthropology during my studies as well, uh, like, like um, the anthropologist being a bridge maker between different, different societies, different communities to, to, to make, yeah, to, to, so that people can better understand other people, let's say, and, and or can better understand themselves as well. So, and, and then during my bachelor, my, my interest in human nature entanglements and, and environmental governance, um, anthropogenic pollution really started to, to grow. Um, also after traveling to the Antarctic with an environmental organization and because of many um, passionate professors on, in, at the University of Vienna at the anthropology department, um, who had to, who offered courses uh, that turned always around topics like climate change adaptations, natural resource extractions, indigenous rights, uh, waste colonialism. And um, so although I never really did research on nuclear related 
activities during my, my studies, I, I decided to apply for the PhD position in, in the Radiant Project because actually of my, my keen interest in, in related topics like, um, like nuclear waste, colonialism, nuclear militarism, uh, and to find out more about how life is like in the Anthropocene for Pacific Islanders and, and how they take uh, or how they make sense of, of the nuclear afterlife, let's say. Most definitely. And I, I definitely do agree with you that uh, anthropology is such a useful bridge to many other disciplines to to understand our world and our present and our past and our future a bit more. And I think it's brilliant that you connected it to, uh, to nuclear testing because it's something that is so left out, especially within the more humanities and uh, in that space, because I think a lot of it is more scientific research about the effects on the body and biological and chemical research but the anthropology mm -hmm. and the the way it impacts humans and our attitudes definitely is quite different so I was very happy when I saw your work and excited to read it yeah fantastic and then the next question which I'm very excited to hear about uh you've just come back from the field work on the Howard Toll recently so will you please tell us how that went yeah, yeah, it was was great. Not, not only because anthropologists kind of uh, live for doing field work, for for staying with the people of of the community and and asking them millions of questions and uh, about the study topic, but also because I meanwhile uh, knew most of the of the thousand two hundred inhabitants of the Howard Hall for my first field trip in twenty nineteen, um, uh, um, the first year of my my PhD project and and I was really happy to to see them again to to talk about what happened in their life since since my last stay and also I think that um, that the second trip actually strengthened my my relationship with with the islanders because they they realized that I'm actually taking them seriously and and their and what they have to say about uh, nuclear afterlife, let's say, uh, on uh, in the Pacific and or on their specific island, the Howard Hall, and 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 they were actually very very happy to see me coming back uh, after a while with with new questions, with um, with being even more curious to to know. So so I uh, and also to ask them, what do you think? I I saw it like that. I think it is like this. What do you think? So give them kind of an, an active um, uh, position in, 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 in creating this, this uh, research project and creating the thesis or the content of the, of the PhD thesis. So giving them kind of, yeah, this, this, this active role, let's say, by, by helping me to create the analysis as well. And, um, and I think that was, that was really um, a, a crucial element of the second uh, fieldwork experience let's say and um, yeah no it was great <laughs> yeah that's really interesting to hear because I also often think about with field work especially if you're working so intimately with the community your relationships with them are very important and and how you relate to them and communicate with them and as you said when you went back the second time you'd obviously the first time you went form some type of relationship with them so when you go back then you get a bit more information and how would you say that has strengthened your work with a special relationship in your context? Yeah, I think uh, mainly because they were even more uh, open about 
about the little secret voices let's say i mean uh, uh, as as i will um, talk about later um, they they were they were very nostalgic about the nuclear past and 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 about the time when the french military was was uh, present on on their on their at all because how was a, a major nuclear military base for for the french nuclear weapons testing program and 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 so they, they They, like during my first field trip, um, they were always very. Um, um, they, they 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 repeated this this nostalgic discourse on and on again, and and now during the the second trip, I noticed that or I I got to hear the the secret voices, let's say, within this shared nostalgic discourse, which was still very omnipresent and very, yeah, very crucial for 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 the how people, but. Um, But uh, yeah, so so like there's little secret voices, little taboos, like little uh, things that they that they are still aware of that they had kind of a high price to pay for for mm. for this golden age of of nuclear military presence on on their toll for 30 years. But um, yeah, most definitely. And I think now our next question is going to be a nice segue into to build on what you just said. So um, the question is, during your previous fieldwork on the Howard Toll, you were surprised with your findings and stated that at some point I had to comprehend that my idea of their nuclear past was completely different from their idea of the same past. Can you elaborate on this and explain your preconceived ideas before you went and then how they changed when you learned their ideas? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, one one needs to know that how was, uh, as I said, this this major nuclear military base for French nuclear testing uh, in French Polynesia, and and France tested 193 nuclear devices on on the Mororoa and Fangataufa atolls, which are approximately 500 kilometers northeast northwest, sorry, from um, from how, and when nuclear testing started in 1996. In 1966, sorry again, uh, how faced drastic socioeconomic transformations and, and the small few hundred inhabitant fishing village was transformed into a major home base for, for the French military uh, with the atomic bombs being stored on how before them being, being tested um, and also military aircrafts, for example, that flew into the, the mushroom clouds Uh, uh, after atmospheric tests, uh, atmospheric tests to retrieve radioactive gas samples, they then flew later over to Hau, where they got decontaminated with uh, with um, with sea water. And also, when when nuclear testing activities ceased in 1996, uh, the military dumped its military equipment and waste into into Hau's lagoon, and and they also buried some of it into. Um, to the soil of, of the atoll. And because of this central role of, uh, of, of how or its unique uh, nuclear history in French Polynesia, I decided to focus my research on nuclear afterlife in French Polynesia on, on the how atoll. And I wanted to know what life on how is like today, 26 years after the last test. And when thinking of nuclear testing in French Polynesia prior to my first few trip to how I, I pictured this this 20th century nightmare um, 
with images like frightening mushroom clouds in my head and, and innocent Polynesian people or even victims suffering from thyroid cancer or other radiation-induced illnesses. Um, I saw dead fish floating on the surface of, of the lagoons of the two testing at all. So I had a kind of an, an end-of-the-world idea of how nuclear afterlife. Also, of course, because I read a lot of... Um, nuclear-related um, literature and, and, and nuclear anthropology, nuclear history uh, scholars' work. And, um, and, and this end-of-the-world nightmare miasma was, was of course, um, um, uh, central in, in most of, of, the, of the, the work that has been done so far on, on, on nuclear weapons testing and, and its, its aftermath. So I thought that I would meet islanders who are completely traumatized to feel maybe resentment or anger towards the French military for not only testing 193 devices on nearby atolls, but also for not being very transparent on, on its effects on human health, on the environment. But however, I, I experienced completely other attitudes towards the nuclear past on how um, especially in 2019, when this, this nuclear gaze was so omnipresent. And so there, like most of the 100 people I talked to, so like 10% of the population, um, they were always feeling very, very nostalgic, actually, for, for the, or about the nuclear military past. And of course, I could not really understand their nostalgia for this, this era of, of nuclear testing. And, and maybe I was a bit naive or, or also quite biased at the beginning of my fieldwork. So, so I reacted to those nostalgic assertions um, by labeling it as like a distorted picture of house history. And, and I often jumped to the conclusion that maybe some people are just blinded by the, by the few positive side effects of the nuclear age, like lucrative job opportunities, um, parties with the French military, a lot of French wine. They had uh, free access to tap water and electricity. Water is actually a sacred good on, on how, as, as it's in a tall where, where there is not a lot of rain. So, so I thought that they are just blinded by those few good things without really taking into account all the adverse impact it had on, on ecosystems and human health. Yet then I, um, I soon began to realize that I had actually talked to more local residents who were feeling this, this nostalgic uh, gaze for, for their nuclear past than, than to people who felt mere resentment, mere skepticism, mere anger. So I started to go with the flow uh, of the fieldwork uh, to take this nostalgic gaze seriously. Um, and I think my first field trip was really like this, this eye-opener moment uh, for me and, uh, and I realized that there is a shared nostalgic nuclear narrative among many, many Howe Islanders and that it actually might tell us more about the, the present as well than I initially thought and not only about the past. And, um, and the second field trip aimed at, at further exploring the, the nostalgic narrative but also highlighting the different complex and partly ambivalent uh, positions within this nostalgic discourse. I think that must have been quite a, an uncomfortable uh, realization for you in, in some ways too, because you obviously went in with a lot of your 
sort of maybe Eurocentric preconceived ideas and then you found something completely different uh, in terms of their their attitudes and I mean also I think all of us would think oh we would imagine this holocaust uh, sort of scenario but then you also as you said you have to think about you know if you don't have fresh water and electricity and and basic needs and infrastructures then the past you know you'll you'll remember what's keeping you alive not something that's because nuclear the effects of nuclear radiation are quite invisible for the most part in the environment and and in your human health so I think that's it's interesting what you found there definitely but most definitely a little bit uncomfortable for for us with different preconceived ideas yeah yeah and I think for 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 the the people I talked to on how they perceive also like all all, all the bad things of of this this nuclear testing era were actually becoming apparent uh, and visible let's say mm -hmm. after after the the military left the uh, the atoll in the year 2000 so they link actually also this the the, the price they had to pay let's say um, be it uh, polluted land be it uh, un high unemployment rate currently um, um, radiation or diseases that might be radiation induced, um, they link that to this very dreary present of today, like like the like this idea of we had this happy times and then the military left and all what is left now is actually the things that the military was was keeping um, in charge also or like taking in charge. For example, they uh, some of, of the people I talked to they they said like. Oh, how was way cleaner when the when the French were here, um, mm -hmm. saying that they were keeping the streets clean and 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 uh, trimming the the bushes and 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 the trees and and um, and also taking care of the people in in the in the well equipped hospital um, uh, that they had until two thousand and so so taking also care of their health and 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 so for them it was kind of this this idea of um, of, of all the bad stuff that came after the departure of the military but um, uh, but yeah and, and 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 like I said during my, my second field trip or my second field trip kind of aimed at highlighting the different positions uh, within this shared nostalgia discourse and and I realized that that still almost the entire population was, was nostalgic for the time when the French military was on how, but there is diversity um, within the nostalgic um, population. So some mainly the younger generations were also very nostalgic, but they uh, still acknowledged and, and even blamed um, at the same time, the French military for the introduction of economic dependence, assistantship, uh, saying we forgot how to stand on our own feet and and others mainly those who experienced the testing era as well as life on how after the departure of the military they felt nostalgic for the nuclear past but also guilty for the dull dreary present even blaming themselves for for the poor maintenance of of the military ruins and for for their diseases even which might be induced by radiation but they said that uh, my, my cancer might actually also be caused by my unhealthy lifestyle, not necessarily by the bomb, who knows. 
Um, and they also said it was us, actually, us, the people of the Howard Hall, who destroyed the military buildings, who were taking all the, the good uh, material from those robust infrastructure of the military to, to build our own private houses. And now they look so ugly and, and um, we didn't maintain them uh, nicely. Um, so, and others mentioned uh, different taboos of the military era, like, like it was forbidden to talk about possible ecological and health consequences of the bomb. And some even mentioned sexual violence and, and broken families at, as some of the high price uh, for, for this golden age of nuclear testing program. And there was especially um, um, a lot of uh, sexual violence, not only against women in, in the numerous nightclubs on the atoll, but also against men, especially men dressed as women, the re-re, which is which are really a, a crucial part of, of Polynesian um, population. Um, and, and also uh, some, some people in my, my age, in, in their 30s, um, they, 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 uh, they, they have a French military father who they never met actually as they, they left Howe as soon as their military service ended and which left yeah, um, shattered families on, on Howe and, and, and uh, without ever acknowledging um, their their sons, their daughters, and and so those were were a bit like the the prices to pay for for the happy times, let's say, which which became more and more apparent uh, in in the in in the moment of crisis as soon as the French left, and um, so so the how residents actually pretty aware uh, of the fact that those thirty years of, of perceived freedom and financial security, happiness. Um, when Howe had a shared identity and played a crucial role in France's race to global nuclear domination came with, with a price that is actually polluted land, decaying infrastructure, high unemployment rate, lacking social cohesion. But, um, but yeah, as if this, 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 um, uh, these negative consequences occurred mainly after the military left Howe in the year 2000, this idea yeah, of, it was a great time and then the French left and now all that is left is pollution, unemployment uh, and so on. So, so this, this temporal dimension of, of this nostalgic gaze, um, this, this afterlife of military presence, uh, as this afterlife would include or, or at least make visible all the evil, all the, the harm of the nuclear past. Um, uh, I find that super interesting as as an analytical approach, also to to uh, to this nostalgic gaze. What what nostalgia makes with with the how people um, and um, yeah, I think I think that's that's something that will be a big part of my my thesis as, as well. This this temporal dimension and, and this past, uh, present, future relations and uh, yeah. <laughs> Most definitely. And I think listening to what you're saying, there's just so many layers to this whole study that you're doing. And I just think that it's so fascinating that, you know, the whole focus is obviously on nuclear testing, but it's so much more than that. You know, there's gender, the environments involved, you know, the economy, there's just so many different um, areas that are just completely intertwined into this one topic, uh, which I think is fantastic because it just gives you a, a more holistic overview of, of what's actually happening. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I, I think why my 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 aim for for my doctoral thesis now is also to actually highlight this this very contradictory contemporary period of both nuclear unease but also nuclear nostalgia and 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 I'm sure that I have enough ethnographic material to to develop these anthropological nuances and and to to show those partly ambivalent uh, imperial relations on the ground and, and linking nostalgia um, with with uh, other um, um, aspects like you said gender gender-based violence um, um, uh, this temporality um, identity shared identity as well um, and many more yeah for sure invisibility of course big topic yeah yeah, no, there's just so much going on in, in one study. It's it's absolutely fascinating. <laughs> um, and right, so moving on a little bit more to the present, the economic development that the French brought with their nuclear testing programs enhanced the lives of the Hal population at the time. But after the French military left in 2000, a nostalgia for increased standards of living have almost consumed the society, as you've just explained, leaving them longing for their nuclear past. However, at the time of the nuclear golden age, when they had better employment rates, better infrastructure and a promising future, there was not much thought of the consequences of nuclear testing to the environment and their health. So you have already explained a bit about this dynamic. So I might have to skip a few questions here, but would you say that there is a trauma still existing in their society? Because um, I think that's something we haven't touched upon is the the sort of trauma from the generation that experienced this mm -hmm. yeah there's definitely um and that's also a bit uh, um uh one of the challenges is that i'm i'm not trying to romanticize life on how today by saying oh well they are all nostalgic nice let's move on mm. um this, this nostalgia actually also reveals a lot about the present situation because I, I was, when I came to how I was not really into it, or I thought I heard a lot and I read a lot about uh, the, the nuclear past and, and nuclear history on, in French Polynesia. So I wanted to know how is life like on how today. And instead of telling me uh, what, what life is like on how today, they preferred actually to tell me how life was like before the French uh, uh, left in the year 2000. So they said, oh, you know, life was way better um, uh, when, when the military was here. Uh, and I always tried to get them back into the present, let's say, but, um, but I think at, at, or like after, after a while, I realized actually this already says a lot when they prefer to talk about the past instead of talking about the present. And, and, and some people felt bit ashamed of telling me that or actually there is nothing to talk about uh, about life today because it's it's just a very very harsh uh, harsh life we we don't have any jobs uh, uh, our our young generations don't have any any perspectives um, we we our our houses are decaying the nice houses that we were once uh, proud of are decaying, uh, talking about the, the military um, uh, infrastructure and, and the military zone, because how it was uh, um, divided into the village zone where the local population was living and the, the military zone with all the, the military buildings and facilities. 
And so they, yeah, they, they I think the trauma or, or their perceived trauma is not really what happened during the 193 nuclear devices necessarily, but rather the, the, the moment of departure, this, this, which really um, um, is perceived as this moment of, of crisis. Um, and they, uh, uh, some were, were um, comparing this, this departure of the French military in July 2000 as a standing in the dark moment, uh, literally, because the French were, were cutting off electricity, which was always free of charge uh, when they were there. And then all of a sudden, uh, the light went off and, and the military left. And they, they said that they were not prepared for this moment of transition of um, of um, in in the year 2000, so so they also uh, still feel uh, very abandoned by the French military, and um, and I think that that this so so like as if the act of violence within this topic of of uh, nuclear testing in on the how or, or in French Polynesia and 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 nuclear afterlife. Uh, on the Howard Hall, I think that that the real act of violence for them uh, was was this this aftermath that they had to deal all by themselves, um, and and there were some some uh, cleanup um, 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 decisions taken to 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 as I said, there is still a lot of military waste um, buried in in the soil uh, with with little um, signs of the French military saying no entry um, and there was a lot of um, military equipment just dumped into into the, the lagoon of the Howard Atoll and um, there had been some cleanup measures and, and a lot of military waste had been um, taken out of the lagoon uh, over, uh, over 200 tons of, of military equipment but there's still some left people think on the Howard Atoll because they only went down to 400 um, meters, uh, for 40 meters, sorry, and um, and the lagoon is actually 100 meters deep. Uh, so nobody knows what is left actually, or if there's something left, and also still some some um, uh, places on 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 the land are, are still uh, not deep polluted. Um, it's mainly military waste, so uh, and, and soil that is contaminated with, with heavy metals and, and not um, nuclear waste. But, but um, and yeah, I think that that those those things are, are um, or like the the how population is very much aware of of the the burden they they had to deal with uh, after after the, the 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 military left and. Um, um, and they, they still feel a bit abandoned about it. And this plays actually also a crucial role, this moment of abandonment and this, this moment of, of, of uh, abrupt ending and, and this after, this moment of, of like this, this after epoch, they often said they referred to the present as uh, l'après militaire, uh, as the after military epoch. And and, and that's quite interesting. And, and this plays a crucial role for, for the future, actually, as well, as, as I might talk about later. <laughs> oh, I think that they have all the right in the world to be uh, to feel abandoned and, and to even have some. Is there any anger about it or is it just sort of a, a what it is, what it is? How, how is it? Yeah, I think there is there is a, a certain 
uh, anger or, or rather um, they are a bit uh, impatient. Uh, they, they really want to have things a bit changed regarding uh, the, the waste that is left uh, and those signs, there is no entry signs because they they still suffer suffer a bit from from their image being this polluted at all, and and um, there was one incident, for example, a few years ago, where another island uh, wanted to to uh, buy um, a coral waste from how to build their their streets uh, on, on the land, and then there was a, a an NGO, actually an anti-nuclear NGO. And they were were were, were saying they were trying to boycott this this arrival of the coral waste from how saying um, corals from from how are actually contaminated and radiated and 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 now we get we get to deal with the, their their nuclear waste so so how still suffers a bit uh, uh, over this this image of of how being still this polluted at all and they hope. That that in the near future new projects uh, will 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 new economic projects will will help to change also this this image of how being polluted and I think that's still something that they suffer of because they they feel a certain pride um, towards this this um, shared identity they had and this raison d'être um, during during French nuclear testing as they had this very crucial role as or in within this this race of France towards global nuclear domination so so they they perceive this uh, this present situation as a moment of decline completely because yeah not only that they have no jobs anymore because the French military hired everyone who needed a job and and but they also perceive it as a decline in yeah in, in this shared shared identity idea and um, which is which is very crucial for them and, and very very um, um, embarrassing almost yeah definitely and I also think it it's also a bit embarrassing on the the part of the French government that they they haven't put an effort to to restore any justice to the people of the Hawatol. I think that that's quite embarrassing because if you they were solely responsible for the the testing and all the the nostalgia that's being felt today and the the bad attitudes towards the land. Mm -hmm. So I think definitely the French government should be pushed to to fix the problem, so to speak, um, because that's uh, if the people on the Howatol don't have the the means to do so, who else is going to do it? Exactly, yeah. And I, I have to add actually that um, that this this nostalgic narrative is very unique uh, I would say for how because uh, mm. on, on other islands in, in French Polynesia for example Tahiti the main island where where 70 percent of the of the Polynesian population is, is living um, and there people there, there, there was this 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 attitude towards um, justice and, and and transparency and and uh, where there was a bit of more of a of a strive towards um, yeah um, the, the French government to to pay kind of for what it what, what it did to the population of, of uh, French Polynesia, um, uh, asking for for financial compensation for people who, who got sick uh, after atmospheric tests, 
Um, there is a law, the Loi Morin, um, since 2010, uh, which is actually um, uh, which should open up uh, for for financial compensation, but there are still a lot of legal loopholes and also many um, uh, military documents, military files are still classified or the nuclear files of the French military are still classified partly, uh, which really um, uh, um, uh, makes it even more difficult for people to, to get their documents together to show actually that they were working, let's say, on Mururoa or Fangataufa or how during atmospheric tests and that they were actually contaminated with radioactive fallout so so it, it really there are a lot, a lot of uh, um, um, yeah pro problems to to get access to those documents for for the people of of French Polynesia and this this attitude uh, of, of, of of anger of, of resentment of, of um, uh, and this this fight for justice is a, a bit more um, crucial on, on Tahiti, for example, or also on Mangareva, another island uh, in the Tuamotu Gambier archipelago, where also Hau is located, and also Mugua and Fangataufa. And, and Mangareva was a bit closer uh, situated to, to Mugua and Fangataufa, only uh, approximately 300 kilometers east. And, um, and they really were, were showered regularly with, with uh, radioactive fallout mm -hmm. and there people are uh, really uh, like a lot of people got sick and still got sick and, and still suffer from thyroid cancer uh, which is uh, which you, you cannot say 100% that it is linked to atmospheric tests but it's quite frightening how 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 every family is just dealing with with the with the thyroid cancer and there as well there is rather this idea of we still wait for compensation. We still wait um, for the French government to to say sorry. Um, so I think there is this this um, this diversity of of nuclear narratives even within French Polynesia, even within one uh, population. So I think that's also um, I think or the work of anthropologists can also um, highlight this that there is a, a complete different way of of dealing with the past depending on um, on, on on the specific history the the historical context social context and um, yeah definitely and would you say that because of the development that the French military brought to the Hawatoll maybe that's why because of the sort of illusion uh, of the golden nuclear age, is that why maybe they're not demanding as much justice or as the other islands in the area? Yeah, and I think it's linked to this this sense, uh, the, this uh, this feeling of of guilt um, and this this um, uh, this idea of oh, we also benefited a lot from that time, or um, uh, we we were part of 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 the problem problem almost uh, saying that we actually yeah uh, participated in this program so so this 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 being torn between well we also suffered and we su still suffer now mainly um but also we 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 were part of it and we were part of this whole nuclear machinery so so i think that this is definitely um, playing a big role today but yeah as you said the, this economic 
upturn in the 60s, 70s is definitely um, one thing that strengthened this, this nostalgic gaze. Uh, but also because I, and what I realized in Mangareva is that, for example, in Mangareva, this other island in the Tuamotu Gambies, um, the French military was not so present on the main island. There, the military was was a bit more far away from from the village. Um, they were living a bit on their own, uh, while and they were not there for so long. Uh, in the eighties, they were almost gone already. So, uh, and of course, Margareva is very much known for, for the cultivation of black pearls. So there, there is a certain richness uh, today um, and, and a certain autonomy, even economic autonomy, uh, whether on how um, the French military stayed there for 30 years, even longer. So, so there was not only one generation that, that was benefiting and, and was, was um, um, de fully dependent on, on the military, economically, socially, uh, but, but two or three generations. So, and also, the, even though the how was uh, divided into, into the, the village zone and the, the military zone, the, there was still a very um, big social bonding um, among, among the how population and, and the French military um, because you, you needed kind of like a badge, like, a, like an entrance ticket to, to go to, to the military uh, area um, where there was also an open air cinema, like the first open air cinema in the Pacific or uh, there was a tennis court or there was um, uh, a lot of um, uh, water sports activities that you could join. So it was like, like a bit of a... Uh, let's say uh, Disneyland for <laughs> for that time, uh, or at least the activities that were offered in this military zone. And as almost every family had at least one member of the family who worked for the military, um, so they had access to to the military zone and and could uh, benefit of all the, the activities that they were offering. And also the military came to the village, to the nightclubs, to the bars, to the restaurants. Um, uh, they went together with the, with the Polynesian population to their little islets uh, close to the atoll or on the other side of the atoll and, and uh, having big barbecues during the weekends. And so there was this very mingling, let's say, of, of military uh, personnel with uh, civil society and and which strengthened this this cohesion and this uh, this um, loyalty today are still of of the how population towards the 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 French military and um, partly even the French government so that's quite interesting yeah. no definitely and I can you can come to understand why their perceptions are as such when you look back at the history and see the reasons for it. So I think it's the more we discuss, the more sort of pieces of the puzzle are, are fitting together and making a lot more sense. Right, so we'll move on um, to the next question, uh, which is there is new hope for economic development with the new Chinese investments on the Howard Toll. What are your thoughts on this in regard to the balance between economic development and sustaining their environment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so the Hao population has been waiting for, for this $300 million Chinese fish farm project for, for nine years already, because in 2012, uh, a Chinese investment company 
uh, together with the Polynesian government, signed a contract for the installation of of this fish fish farm uh, in House Lagoon, and and with fifty thousand tons of of fish per year, it would be the biggest fish farm in the Pacific, and and of course the the ecological questionable but very uh, economically very profitable fish farm is currently one of the most debated topics in, in French Polynesia and the overall opinion of the Hau population has has actually changed since my last stay in 2019 um, uh, because in 2019 so many of them were actually full of hope for the fish farm and were expectantly waiting for the fish farm to be implemented and to bring new jobs to the to the people, especially the young generations, um, and and so they were waiting for it, despite their slight skepticism regarding the ecological impact uh, it might have on their marine environment. Um, but uh, now, nine years after the fish farm was announced for the first time, people were still waiting and they now started losing patience and and also in addition some of the the local contacts told me that that the the words of president president macron uh, regarding the the chinese fish farm changed their mind because in uh, during his visit in french polynesia in july last year uh, president macron he warned kind of the polynesian people to be very careful saying beware of adventurous foreign investments and that, that this land or this, this this land like French Polynesia, this is France, this is French Polynesia and that it will stay like that. And, and Macron promised the, the population of the Howard Hall uh, the return of the, of the French military in 2022 in, in form of the adapted military service uh, regime uh, called Erasama, uh, which will will offer educational and professional training for 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 uh, young people um, aged 18 to 25 for six to 12 months so most people i talked to on how especially the young islanders like like the target group of the erasama but also their parents and grandparents they were very much in favor for of the the reinstallation of the military on how uh, because they think that it that it will introduce new job opportunities to the local people and that it will be less ecologically destru destructive than than the Chinese fish farm project. Mm -hmm. um, but but however, they they also showed some skepticism not, not only towards the Chinese fish farm but also the Erasama because they worry about this afterlife of these two projects as as if they would have learned a bit from, from the nuclear military past. Um, they would question themselves, like what will happen to us when they leave uh, one day in the near future? Will how again suffer from economic dependence, from, from marine pollution, from an uncertain future? And so in a way, the military or, or the militarized nuclear testing era itself was not really what led to to local trauma, as I said, but it was rather this end of this era and the departure of the military. This uh, that was the 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 start of a crisis, uh, and and which led to the very uh, after military epoch. Uh, this this uh, current after military crisis, let's say. So so that's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would also be very wary of a. Uh development uh, programs well foreign ones uh, 
in, in my country if I was also left in the same situation for sure. Um, but what about uh, local initiatives? You, there's in terms of local development, is is there anything uh, going on in that department or are they just too dependent? Yeah, I um, there also I, I noticed a bit of a of a change of of attitude. Let's say the, the, since my last stay, because in 2019 it was really like a lot of hope was put uh, into this this Chinese fish farm. Uh, I often heard this this uh, sentence of well, we are just waiting here for the for the Chinese to come and to change things. Um, because we are only a thousand people, we can't change uh, a lot uh, ourselves because because we don't have any uh, we, we don't have the capacity and 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 the need uh, the means the financial and the the the, the, the know how uh, the financial means and the know how to to change things um, uh, as much as it, it would be necessary. So and now I may and many of them told me that that the the global pandemic, COVID nineteen pandemic, also changed their attitude uh, um, towards economic development, and they started to be a bit more self autonomous, uh, self efficient, um, growing their their own uh, vegetables, fruits in the gardens. Um, they are the the first vanilla farms. Um, that that were uh, developed uh, on how because vanilla is one of the main exports of French Polynesia. The Tahitian vanilla is is one of the the most delicate ones uh, in the world, and so they try to to be a bit more um, autark and mainly because they were they they started to be very isolated um, from from Tahiti from the main island and and not a lot of cargo ships. Uh, went to to the to the remote islands, uh, or not as many as normally. So so they had to to they had this change change of uh, of mind almost regarding economic development. Um, but um, but uh, so yeah, I think there are now a bit more of of little projects, small scale projects that are that are popping up here and there on how because they also lost patience with the with the Chinese uh, fish farm uh, in in 2019. They had so much hope because there was a, a bigger conference or a meeting between uh, the the how um, uh, municipality and the Chinese investors. And they they thought that they would come and start um, uh, constructing the 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 farm, and then they said, well, we actually need more time to to wait and so on. So I think that yeah, the fact that the the, the Chinese fish farm is still up in the air and the global pandemic had a bit of a started to to um, or had impact on on their uh, economic. Um, uh, development, let's say, on on small scale uh, economic development projects on how. Definitely. Well, I think it's good to hear that there's sort of some smaller scale projects going on, but I also just have to think about how difficult it is to to create any sort of development, especially if they have problems with with fresh water. I mean, you can't really do anything without fresh water. Um, so definitely, I think it's, it's a difficult situation in terms of the economic development. So 
that's a, I, I don't have any answer. I don't, do you have any, any sort of thoughts about what would be the best way for them to, to move forward? Do you perceive the investments as a good thing? There's give and takes, obviously, but, but what is your sort of picture of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, and, and I fully agree with, with what um, may, most of my, my local uh, friends and contacts say is that uh, we, we, we try to move forward by, uh, by, by creating the, those, those little um, 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 agricultural projects. And, and one, one family, for example, is now um, 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 a, a farm a harvesting uh, salads and, and they will be sold in, in the local uh, supermarkets or another family is focusing on tomatoes and, and another family is um, focusing on, as I said, the vanilla farm. Uh, another family is also producing vanilla farms that can be exported. So I think that they start to organize themselves in a way so that every family has some income um, because uh, jobs are scarce on, on, on a toll of where thousand people live. The main um, job givers, let's say, are, are the school, um, the, the primary school and high school, but uh, and, and the municipality mainly. And then there is a little um, uh, uh, infirmary where, where there is a, a dentist and, and, and two nurses working and a secretary, but and then we are almost done with all the, and then of course the supermarkets, um, like there are two or three uh, uh, supermarkets, let's say, or, or um, grocery stores. So yeah, and, and, and I think of course big projects, why not, um, if the population is, is um, agreeing to it and, and if the ecological impact won't be so devastating because they said we are happy with all big projects because they remind us actually of the military nuclear testing program, um, but we are not ready to to uh, sacrifice our uh, lagoon again mm. because as many people because the high, uh, the unemployment rate is very high and and many families are really relying on on the lagoon on fishing uh, on fishing their daily um, uh, food actually so. So they, they know that if, if a Chinese fish farm coming to culture 50,000 um, fish per year, the lagoon won't look like it looks right now. And, and they know that, the, that the, the lagoon already had to, 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 be, to regenerate in a way after, after military activities seized in the lagoon. And, and um, so... So I'm, I fully agree. And, and they were, for example, some, some uh, mentioned that they would be interested in pushing tourism uh, on, on how, because there are no tourism infrastructures uh, at all for now. But for example, um, um, scuba diving would be, would be an option, they say, because they have this, this vast lagoon uh, where we even saw whales and dolphins and manta rays, sharks, everything you need for, for a nice scuba diving experience, yeah. of course. And, and, um, and they say that, that we can't rely or we can't build on tourism uh, as long as we have this, this image of uh, polluted at all so so they really want to to push a bit the the Polynesian government as well as the French state to 
to to comment clean up pick up the waste let's say so so that's for sure and that that will that also hampers uh, development i i would say right now um this this yeah the fact that the tower has still a bit this image which i really am uh, was uh, becoming aware of on on tahiti as well when i was talking to to um, uh, government officials uh, state officials when i was talking to even to to other scholars and 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 to ngos asking me what are you doing on how and and how can you go to how there's nothing literally there is nothing um, why don't you go to Mangareva uh, or why don't you go to, to Raya, which is also, for example, an atoll that was really uh, affected by atmospheric tests because, uh, yeah, a lot of radioactive fallout really went over to, to, to Raya or Mangareva uh, and, and how it was also affected, but not as much. And there was this military base, but there is nothing right now. So they, they didn't perceive this uh, uh, a study about how as as so crucially important and, uh, uh, because of this, and I think so. So this this image of how being this uh, polluted at all is definitely present and and a bit shared at least in um, among um, uh, state uh, or government officials, and that's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'll take a lot of work to uh, sort of change the uh, the views on that if it's so deeply ingrained. Um, but yes, that was very interesting to to hear about uh, all the different layers and nuances of uh, of of the project. Um, but now to put the project in a bit of context, could you tell us more about the Radiant project uh, as a whole and how your project sort of fits into that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so our Radiant Research Program is, is funded by the Danish Council for Independent Research and it is based at DIES, Danish Institute for International Studies, which is an, an independent research institute for, for the study of, of development, security and foreign policy issues. And, and the Radiant Program empirically studies uh, the, the Anthropocene as the radioactive afterlife of the Cold War in three different regions, in the Marshall Islands, in French Polynesia, uh, where I've been, and in Kazakhstan. And my, my PhD supervisor and leader of the, of the program, Renz van Münster, who's a senior researcher at DIES, he went to, to the Marshall Islands where, um, where the US uh, were, were doing their tests um, mainly the bikini at all might be might be known um, uh, to some. Uh, my my other colleague, postdoc and anthropologist Magdalena Stakowski, she has studied the social life on the semi-palatinsk test site in Kazakhstan. Um, she has done her doctoral thesis on 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 the semi-palatinsk um, uh, inhabitants. And and what is interesting about the semi-palatinsk test site is that. It's the only former nuclear test site where people are actually living on, on the ground zero of former nuclear tests. Um, uh, and together we actually aim at exploring the, the situated experiences of, of populations that, that live in, like in, in Kazakhstan or around former nuclear test sites, um, uh, asking how these localized experiences can can challenge also current understandings of life uh, or of survival in in the age of the anthropocene yeah 
Exciting. And as I was saying to you before the, the interview started, I was very exciting when I, uh, excited when I saw it just had a, a, the Radiant project because in Denmark, and I think in a lot of Scandinavia, there's practically no discourse on, uh, on nuclear uh, weapons or nuclear disarmament or nuclear testing. So I'm, I'm very happy that you guys are putting your energies into it. <laughs> And um, now to sort of bridge that uh, that question, um, does this do any work exploring the case of Denmark in relation to nuclear disarmament? For example, Denmark has not signed the TPNW and will still have various institutions that invest in nuclear weapons now and also uh, they have no sign of um, divesting. Um, and also they have this history of an American fighter jet that crashed along, the with, along with some nuclear cylinders into a Greenlandic fjord at the Thule Air Base in 1968. So my question is sort of how come that is not uh, being explored? Because that was, it was quite, um, it's not that well known of an event, but it's still, uh, I would still consider it a sort of radioactive ruin as some of the cylinders haven't uh, even been found. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And and some of my my these colleagues, in, including um, for example Isabella Sovio, Yang Yang, uh, Adam Fyaskov, have also been working on on related topics like nuclear energy infrastructure in the Baltic Sea region, or China and nuclear security. Uh, and there has been done some work on Denmark's relation to nuclear disarmament and nuclear security by some. These scholars, but rather in the past, mm -hmm. um, uh, as but as my project ends this year, why why not working afterwards on Danish nuclear weapons discourses? Who knows? Um, and as you mentioned, the Tula Air Base, uh, I looked up our DSA, uh, website and I actually found an interesting book chapter written by two former DS researchers, Sven Christensen, Christian Christensen, in, in which they actually examine the expansion of of the Thule Air Base and the forced relocation in 1953 of, of the residents of the small settlement of, of Inuit hunters um, near the base. And, and I think the Radiant Project also speaks to other regions and people who experience environmental injustice and, and slow violence, um, including, of course, also the more or less 700 Danish civilians and, and, and US military personnel who, who worked under precarious conditions after the the Tula air crash incident so so yeah i think that that it also resonates with with um, incidences like that um, that are actually closer to denmark than 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 the pacific or or or, or kazakhstan yeah Definitely, because I was uh, on a project uh, attending a CEDAW review conference where we brought forth the case of the Thule Air Base because uh, Denmark was up for review and um, no one had heard about it. And when we were trying to do the research, I even went through all the, um, the government files in Greenland and also through some of the government um, files in uh, Denmark that I could access to try and find any inf information on this. And there was completely minimal information on it. There was one paper that um, was uh, conducted, I think, in the 2000s, where they did, there was um, a, a scientist who tried to determine the health effects of, um, of this radioactive, because one, uh, one of them exploded, right, and infiltrated the water systems and, and the environment. 
And the conclusion was simply um, the, the cancer rates that were found, especially in, in women, were due to bad, uh, bad lifestyles such as drinking and smoking um, and not to the, uh, to the radioactive um, uh, materials in the environment. And I just thought, oh, this is, it, it, it's just so much wrong with it because there wasn't even an acknowledged you know, an acknowledgement that it might have been due to the radioactive um, materials and substances found uh, from the, the crash. And I, the, and there's been no more updated research on that uh, and not much discourse on it. So I think it would be a very good gap in the, uh, in the research area to, to do it. So I would definitely support you if you did that. <laughs> exactly. And also to, to see with how, how, um, the, the the civilian society also makes sense to those to this increased cancer rate, especially among women, and and how common was it only the women who who were having a bad uh, 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 food diet or, or smoking? What about the men? Or yeah. and, and I think uh, what do they think? Where it came from? Did they maybe also uh, experienced other changes in 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 their health or in their uh, environment um, uh, after the, the the incident and and of course the the invisibility of of uh, radiation of 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 um, radioactivity has the, uh, or makes it easy to banalize it as oh well nobody can know if if a specific cancer form has been um, caused by 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 radioactive fallout or. or um, so, so that makes it very easy to to give also the the um, uh, to to tell somebody oh it's actually you who 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 uh, who triggered this this cancer because of your bad lifestyle and 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 um, putting the 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 fault to others uh, let's say and 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 making uh, yeah closing the case and and saying well yeah case closed, we, we can't talk about it anymore because we, we can't really say for sure if if cancer is linked to this and this. Um, but, uh, and as well, the intergenerational uh, effects of, of, of uh, radiation on, for example, yeah, that, that, that it might actually cause genetic uh, um, uh, disturbances um, is also something very contested still because uh, there is no universal um, 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 narrative about it if, if uh, radiation can cause intergenerational um, uh, cancer or, or not. So, so, of course, this invisibility, this, this, yeah, you can't see it, you can't trace it. You, well, of course, you can trace it in, in, in the environment, but, but it still makes it um, very difficult. Um, yeah so definitely and i also think that when you add the the politics into the mix it makes it even worse because for example with the thule air base it was an american fighter jet that crashed into danish soil so there was a period of time quite a long period of time when they were fighting about who's going to clean it up which made it even worse you know so i think when you you add all of the the politics and the the health, negative health effects and and everything it's just it's a huge mess Mm. that's very difficult to clean up yeah, yeah it becomes a, a geopolitical debate about who, who to blame who to yeah. clean up and and um, yeah definitely yeah 
Right, so I think we're coming towards the end of our very interesting uh, podcast. So I just leave you with one question because you've had such an interesting career and research area so far. So what is your advice to young people who want to get involved in in nuclear disarmament issues or nuclear testing issues or, or anything in the field? Yeah, I think I can only say read about, watch the movies, listen to the stories of, of people who are most affected by, by nuclear testing and, and to take up a relatively marginal position in, in conventional narratives of nuclear weapons, be it uh, the, the, the people around the Thule Air Base or be it people in, in the Pacific or, or in, in, in the Kazakhstan uh, desert uh, or in the Algerian desert as well. And, and I think that the work of anthropologists, historians and, and social scientists can actually help to provide an expanded understanding and, and more nuanced stories about life in the post-nuclear age uh, or in the nuclear age um, by, by letting the voices of those appear who, who only take up, as I said, a relatively small position in, in conventional accounts of the nuclear age. And I would have, for example, also never thought of turning my academic attention to, to nostalgia when, when studying the nuclear afterlife of, of, um, uh, in French Polynesia. But, but how and its people tell the story also of nuclear colonial violence and exploitation, uh, but also the story of good life and golden age. So, so it is way more complicated and, and we have to listen to the very complex and diverse perspectives on, on how nuclear testing has shaped local identities and, and how it continues also to in, inform everyday life on the ground. And, and the more research will be done on, on the nuclear condition, the more knowledge will be produced and more argument will also be offered to politics in terms of nuclear governance, nuclear disarmament and and I think um, um, movements also like 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 uh, use for climate and uh, are also uh, things that like like events or, or or movements that give me a lot of hope that that there 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 will be this discussion uh, being kept going on and and the work that you are doing and your your colleagues and friends so so I'm. Um, I'm, I'm sure that, that there are, um, and, and also I see it when, when I talk to people who are not at all into academia, they still learn always something new when I tell them about what, what happened and what is still happening in, in French Polynesia and saying, wow, I have never heard about it. And I think that's, that's something that can already a bit um, trigger something in every one of us by saying, saying, oh, actually, I, I have never heard about it, and then listen to it and, and maybe tell it to other people. And yeah, and at some point it might arrive also at politics and, um, and, and also helping to, to, yeah, to, to make the stories visible, making the people behind those stories visible and, and, and being heard and, and, and trying to help them to, to figure out what to do with it, what, what to do with this with this this um, past and, and, and the impact of it on, on the present, how to deal with it and how to, um, how, how to make sense of it. And yeah, trying to at least. 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to us about your very exciting work and explain your, your views and a bit about your background. It's very, very much appreciated. So now I'll leave you and say thank you very much again. And I'll just end the recording now. Okay. A big thanks to Liz Kaiser and thank you all for listening. You can find out more about Youth Fusion on our website, www.youth-fusion.org or at Youth Fusion on most social media platforms. For a closer look at some of the projects mentioned in this episode, you can find this interview in an article format on the Youth Fusion website. This was the second episode in this series, but you can find more inspiring interviews on Spotify or on the links provided on the Youth Fusion website. Youth Fusion is a worldwide networking platform for young individuals and organizations in the field of nuclear disarmament, risk reduction and non-proliferation. We focus on youth action and intergenerational dialogue, building on the links between disarmament, peace, climate action, sustainable development and building back better from the pandemic. Our goals are clear, to inform, educate, connect and engage our fellow students, activists and enthusiasts. Through the activities and as part of the Abolition 2000 Network, we are contributing to the total abolition of nuclear weapons. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, goodbye and stay safe.